You all look so good. Amen. God bless you. So good to see all of you here this morning. Praise God. Let's all stand. I'm excited because Jesus is here. Amen. Praise God. I wouldn't be so excited if all you had to look forward to was me. <clears throat> Amen. But the Lord Jesus Christ is here. Amen. And when He is here, anything can happen. Do you believe that this morning? Anything can happen in our midst here today. Praise God. Let's go to Him in prayer. Let's lift up His name. Let's call on Him that His perfect will would be manifest in this place today. Lord Jesus, what an awesome God we serve. Thank You, Jesus, for Your manifest presence already here in this place. We give glory and honor unto the Most High God. We worship and we praise our Creator. We rejoice today in the God of our salvation. Thank You, Lord, for all that You have in store for us. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that all of Your heart, all of Your will would be manifest in these services today. That the ministration of the Holy Ghost would go forth. I pray, Lord Jesus, that You would bless the people present here today. I pronounce a blessing upon these in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That You would undergird them with strength. That You would minister to their needs. That You would encourage them in the Lord their God today. Let Your great and mighty name be glorified in our midst. Help us, Lord Jesus, to seek Your face. Help us, Lord Jesus, to press, to strive to enter in, if necessary, into the presence of God. That we would touch the hem of Your garment. That virtue would flow into us. Thou Most High God, such as we require, such as we need today, let Your name be glorified. Let the manifestation of the Holy Ghost be powerful in this place. Let Your praises be glorious in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray. Praise God. Thank You, Jesus. Amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing, for entertaining His presence today. You can be seated. Amen. We'll dismiss the youth class. They already are, because I forgot last time. Amen. Take the initiative. That's fine. <laughs> amen. We'll continue uh, our lesson here today, uh, but before, we're going to do a brief review and uh, go over the... Uh, daily devotionals. Amen. Last week, we talked about uh, two types and shadows in the Old Testament we found of what Jesus Christ did for us. Those are found in the, the Feast of the Passover and the Day of Atonement. Even the Passover, of course, uh, the first Passover was celebrated by the children of Israel in Egypt. And that was the last and final plague that God sent to the Egyptians, the killing of their firstborn. And the firstborn of their cattle all the way to the firstborn of Pharaoh would be destroyed unless, unless they went through and obeyed what God had told them to do. The killing of the sacrificial lamb, spreading the blood over the doorpost and the lintel. And if they would do these things, Egyptian or Israelite, the death angel would pass by, would pass over them and go their way. In the Day of Atonement, of course, the one day a year where the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies with the blood sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice, whereby the sins of the nation of Israel would be rolled forward another year. Indicating, of course, in both of these events, a type and a shadow of what was to come. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would once and for all shed His blood 
for all sin, for everyone's sin. Today, that blood sacrifice is our once only sacrifice for sin. Jesus Christ sacrificed Himself once, and that is sufficient for all the sin. Of all the people in all the world. Amen. When Jesus hung on the cross, He said, It is finished. I don't think in all of literature, in all of history, there is a more powerful, more complete statement than that. Some people would point to Neil Armstrong and his statement, landing on the moon. Granted, that was pretty cool. That was a pretty cool statement. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. But this statement that Jesus uttered, it is finished. A lot of people don't really understand what He meant when He said that. How complete a statement that that is. The finished work of Jesus at Calvary means that God's judgment for sin has passed over me. I will not be judged for my sin anymore. Jesus has paid the price for me. We understand that I could pick them back up at any time. I can walk away from this truth. I can walk away from God, the salvation, at any time I choose. But if I will stay in my right mind, and if I will continue to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, He continues to cover me in His blood. He continues to sanctify me and to perfect me. And if I will stay in a relationship with Him at the final day, I will spend eternity in His presence. Amen. His judgment for sin has passed over me. He's restored my relationship with Him. I had a broken relationship because of sin. But now because of the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary, I can have a relationship again. That gulf of sin is removed. It's gone. And now I can have fellowship with the One who loves me, the One who created me. Amen. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary, God has transformed my very nature. I was a child of wrath. I was a sinner by nature. But not anymore. Now I am a child of God. I have His character, His nature within me now. And that is only possible because of the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. Amen. What an awesome hope we have in the cross. Our daily devotionals. Day one, God commanded Israel to memorialize the Passover as a ritualistic celebration. I found this interesting because in our movement today, and sometimes rightly so, rituals, traditions, they kind of get a bum rap. Again, some, in some cases, rightly so. But, interestingly enough, the Lord Himself commanded Israel to memorialize the Passover in this ritualistic event year after year. Now, if we perform rituals heartlessly or mindlessly, they can become uh, vain repetition. They can become meaningless. But if we will perform these uh, with a mind to what they represent, and we allow these rituals or these traditions uh, to recall to us past events, things that God has done for us, they're not vain at all. Communion is a ritualistic event. But it's one that we're commanded to participate in from time to time. When we do that, we remember what Jesus did for us. We remember His spilt blood. 
we remember the stripes on His back, His broken body. Amen. These are good and these are right. Also, uh, in this devotional, we talked about communal meals. They can have huge benefits for those that will participate in them. We should do more of these. Get together with people, both in church and out of church. Have a meal with them. There's no, there's no better place to get to know someone. There's no better place uh, for someone to get to trust you and for you to get to trust someone else than breaking bread. Amen. It lets guards down. It, it, it opens people up. It relaxes people. It's a, it's a great experience. Amen. Day two. Everybody misunderstood what the cross was. Everybody did. The Jews didn't understand it. The Romans certainly didn't understand it. Even His disciples didn't understand what the cross meant, what it was. And certainly Satan didn't understand it. And indeed, many people today don't understand it. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. And that's true today as it was during the actual event. People misunderstand what the cross means. They don't understand the significance of it. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. We of all people, we ought to understand the significance of the cross. We ought to understand what the cross means. Not only just to us, but to everyone. To everyone. Day 3, a 2020 study says that two-thirds of American adults believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus. I find that fascinating. However, only one-third of American adults attend church weekly. In my mind, that's a huge disconnect. That signifies to me that the fact of the resurrection doesn't have the significance in people's minds or hearts that it ought to have. We talked just a second ago about how many people fail to recognize the significance of the cross. They also fail to recognize the significance of His resurrection. Because we understand the cross wasn't enough. If all Jesus did was died, well, I can do that. I'm going to do that, should the Lord tarry. That wasn't enough. But because he, he raised from the dead, and not, he, it wasn't simply that He was raised from the dead, He raised Himself from the dead. He picked His life back up again. Because the Scriptures say it was not possible that He should be holden of it. He's the God of life. You cannot kill life. Amen. And because Jesus was raised from the dead, that signifies victory over our final enemy. Death. Death will be defeated one day. Amen. We will be raised from the dead and we will live forevermore because He was raised from the dead. The significance of His cross, we need to recognize that. We also need to recognize the significance of His resurrection. Amen. Day 4. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus doesn't simply know what we're going through, our conditions, our addictions, our trials, etc. 
simply because he's omniscient. He knows them because we're um, he's omniscient, but he also can empathize with us because he has experienced them as well. That's something that some of us sometimes fail to realize. Yes, he's omniscient, he knows all things, but he also experienced everything that we go through and many things that we have never went through. He has ex- if anyone in the whole world at any period of time has experienced something, he experienced it on the cross. He endured it. He went through it. He understands. Not because He's omniscient, but because He has endured it also. He can empathize. He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He desires to heal not just our physical wounds, but our emotional and mental wounds as well. The cross provides complete victory. Complete salvation. Amen. Day 5. When the Spirit of God comes into a people, those people become one. There ought to be a spirit of oneness that comes into a people when they receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Jews and Gentiles, if we, if we look at that in the book of Acts, the Jews were not exactly friends with the Gentiles. We understand that. The Jews looked down on the Gentiles. They despised the Gentiles. But when Jews and Gentiles got together and they received the gift of the Holy Ghost, they became one people. They became one people. The blacks and the whites during the Azusa Street Revival. The climate in the first decade of the 20th century was not exactly favorable to the African American people. But, during the Azusa Street Revivals, we find them worshiping together. Now, I'm not saying that the climate was perfect and completely restored. There were still issues and problems that had to be sorted out. I acknowledge that. But, when people receive the Holy Ghost, there is a spirit of oneness that comes on a people. The outpouring of the Holy Ghost will transcend cultural norms and will destroy every racial and ethnic barrier that we face. Amen. Why is that? Well, we all become citizens of a new country. Amen. A new culture. A new ethnicity. We are all citizens of the same country. The same kingdom. Praise God. Continuing on with our lesson today. Our scripture text is going to be find, found. Going to be founded. <laughs> in John chapter 3, verse 3. John chapter 3 and verse 3. John 3 is a powerful chapter. We'll look at uh, parts of it here today. John chapter 3 and verse 3 says this, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's what we'll be talking about today. You must be born again. Amen. In 1954, first-time parents, John and Angelina, brought their infant daughter a miniature toy piano. A third-generation piano teacher, Angelina was determined her daughter would carry on the family legacy of pianists. At three years old, their little girl began taking piano lessons from grandmother and quickly mastered the art of reading music before she could yet read English. I don't know how I'd feel about having to practice the piano at three years old. But uh, anyway, 
This young girl did. (laughs) The plan seemed perfect and progressed splendidly. At age 15, the young pianist entered the University of Denver as a music major. At 17, she was accepted into a highly competitive summer music program in Aspen that plunged her already intensive studies into even stricter focus. Yet somehow, the gifted student began to feel something was amiss. As she worked with piano prodigies and genius instructors, slowly she realized with acute pain that her feet were headed down the wrong path. In the most difficult conversation of her young life, the college student sat down with her proud parents and broke the traumatic news that she could no longer be a music major. The family reeled. Her parents shattered by their wrecked plans and their daughter overwhelmed by a lost sense of identity and grappling with the new sediment of purposelessness. Amid the sea of emotional uncertainty, the former pianist entered a class in international politics. Immediately, she was captured by a sense of belonging. This world felt like home to her. The professor took an interest and began the mentoring journey. So it was that in abandoning one life, Condoleezza Rice began a new one. Though one change of life direction, the would-be piano teacher became a world leader who helped navigate the fall of the Berlin Wall and the collapse of the Twin Towers. Her decision that seemed at the time an abandonment of one life gave way to a new life that had ripple effects around the entire globe. Sadly, many people miss their purpose and cope with lifelong regrets because they refuse to abandon their old life and embrace a new one. While such regrets are disappointing in the natural, reluctance to release the old and embrace new life in Jesus Christ is of eternal significance we must address. The resounding message of Scripture is that surrender to God erases the past as He gives us new life rich with hope and promise. Now, the significance of that statement is not that we should enter into politics necessarily uh, or that her decision was good or bad. The significance of the account is that we need to leave, well, maybe I should say it this way. As we come to the Lord, we have a choice to make, don't we? We've got to choose. And that's true with everything in our lives. Again, the power of choice. It's an awesome power. It's an awesome responsibility that we need to exercise with respect to that. Sometimes I think, well, certainly as, certainly as a younger adult, I didn't realize the full significance of some of the consequences I would need to make. I would make things as I went, flippantly, some, even arrogantly. i just make choices. That's what I want to do right now. No thought to tomorrow. No thought to what that might mean next year. It just seemed like a good idea today. I want to do this today. I want to do this now. When we come to the Lord, when we're presented with these wonderful truths, we have a choice to make. When our eyes are opened, And all of you, I think, here understand what I'm talking about. When we're presented with with truth, with the presence of God, and, and full realization hits us, this is real. This is actually true. What am I going to do with it? That choice is yours and yours alone. I can't make that for you. And here's why. 
Because when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I'm not going to be standing there with you. Your parents won't be standing there with you. Nobody's going to be standing there with you. You're going to be standing all by yourself, giving an account for your life. That's why only you have the authority, the ability to make that choice. Same thing for me. You're not going to be standing there with me. And, you know, sometimes it's hard and difficult to make that choice. Certainly, as I'm being presented these truths, because sometimes our family members, they don't really appreciate or have the level of understanding that we do. I've told you this before. I tried to explain this to my dad. Tried to explain it to my family members. And he said, leave the evangelizing to Billy Graham. And that was it. He didn't expect another word out of me. It was done. So I had a choice to make. Some of you have had very hard choices to make with family members, friends. But those family members and friends are not going to be standing beside me at the judgment seat of Christ. They won't be there either. Yeah, but God, it was really hard because... Because what? There's no one here but you. It's your choice to make. It's my choice to make. Every day we're faced with choices. I made a choice a long time ago to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But I need to manage that choice every single day of my life. Because every day I'm presented with opportunities to make a different choice. And so are you. At any time, I can choose to walk away from this. I could just set this down right now, walk out the door, and go grab a drink. I have the ability to do that. I'm not going to do that. I have no desire to do that. I want to serve Jesus Christ with my life. So my choices and my decisions are going to reflect that. Amen. Was it difficult for you to leave your old life behind to follow Christ? For most people, I think the answer is probably some variation of yes. I don't think anybody really had an easy time, some easier than others. I mean, sometimes the the choice was so, it's either I'm going to die or I, I turn my life around here right now. But even in that case, there are things that we're sometimes reluctant to give up, reluctant to, to turn over to Jesus. Little secret things that no one knows about. Those are especially difficult to turn over to Jesus Christ. I'm not going to tell you what it was in my life, but I had a secret thing going on like that. It took a long time before I finally got to the point where I was ready to give that up to Jesus Christ. Because no one knew about it. Jesus knew about it. And He would bring it up. And He'd bring it up. And He'd bring it up. So finally I was done with it. Thank God. Thank God He delivers us from everything. But that's our choice to turn that over. 
He wants to heal. He wants to deliver. He wants to save, provide, restore. He wants to do all of those things for us. But we've got to allow Him to do that. And again, I hate using that terminology. Like I'm, I'm blessing the Lord by allowing Him to do these things for me. That's not what I mean. But at the same time, the way He set this up is He's got to have my permission. He's got to have your permission. He stands at the door and He knocks. He could break it down if He wanted to. He's certainly strong enough. I don't think any door I have is going to be strong enough to, to keep Him out. But He won't do that. He will acknowledge at all times my free moral agency. And He will wait for a decision from me and from you. What's our decision? Understanding that other people who are just now coming to the Lord, they have these decisions to make too. It's easy for me now. All of that stuff has been resolved a long time ago. We worked through all of that. <laughs> Dad got the Holy Ghost. So, he's worked through it. <clears throat> Amen. All my friends that I didn't want to give up, they've been gone for a long time. Or they're in church. I, I don't struggle with that stuff anymore. But people just coming to the Lord, they still face those things. And we've got to understand that too. It can be a very difficult decision to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. It was for you. It was for me. Amen. Okay. Jesus meets Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, brave Nicodemus, bold Nicodemus, he met with Jesus alone in the middle of the night. Amen. Under cover of darkness. So no one could see him talking with Jesus. Now, you got to understand, Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee. He was very influential in his society. He had a lot to lose by being seen with this Jesus of Nazareth. Especially seeking counsel from him. Ooh. Are you serious? Jesus was very controversial. Being seen with Jesus might damage his standing and his position in the community. These are considerations that people make as well. And these are considerations that we even make sometimes today. How is our attitude towards Jesus? Are we okay proclaiming him boldly? And there's a bunch of people standing around who have never heard this. Or do we only meet with Jesus alone in the middle of the night? Luke 9.26 says, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed, when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Matthew 10, 32 and 33 says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, 
Him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Perhaps the reason some people struggle with this, perhaps the one reason that people really have a, a difficult time from time to time witnessing or, or testifying of the goodness of God is found in Luke 14, 26 and 27. That Scripture says this, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. All through Scripture, certainly the New Testament Scripture, culminating in, in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, we understand that we are to be disciple-makers. The, the, the terminology is different than soul-winner. We don't win souls, not technically speaking. We make disciples. Jesus wins souls. Jesus fills people with the Holy Ghost. Jesus leads them to a place of repentance unto salvation. He gives them godly sorrow. All we do is introduce them to the one that can. And afterward, after Jesus saves them, they need teaching, they need instruction, they need discipleship. Being a disciple is a lifelong process. And of course, the root word is discipline. We must discipline our time. We must discipline our minds, our bodies, our appetites. We must discipline every area of our lives so that it is in subjection to the King of Kings, in service to Him. Amen. And so if we don't, if we don't value Jesus more than these, we're going to have a tough time. It's always been interesting to me that we will do everything we can to please people who hate Jesus Christ. We don't want to offend. We want to phrase our answer perfectly so that on the one hand, I'm not denying Jesus, but yet on the other hand, they don't think I'm a loon. And, you know, maybe the older you get, the less you're concerned about that. It's certainly true in my case. Uh, I used to be very concerned about what people thought about me. Uh, not so much now. Uh, maybe in another 20 years, uh, it'll be so foreign that I'm going to be a jerk. <laughs> Who knows? Hopefully not. But, uh, <clears throat> no, you don't want to be a jerk. But at the same time, the only person we ought to care about is Jesus Christ. What does He think about me? What is His opinion of me? That's the only person I need to be concerned about. Because when, when I'm good with Jesus, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter if you hate my guts or not. I'd rather you didn't, but as long as Jesus loves me, as long as I'm good with Him, I'm good. I'm good to go. You can throw me in prison. You can take everything away. Uh, you can take all my friends away. It's going to hurt. I'm not going to like it for sure. 
But I can endure that because I know that my relationship with God is, is strong. It's good. Him and I are good. And that's enough. That's enough for me. I don't care what, what the atheist or the agnostic thinks about me and my position. I don't care what the, the late night talk show host thinks or, or the government official. I really don't care. I care what Jesus thinks. And because of that, I am now okay giving a direct answer, a respectful answer, not an arrogant one, not a combative one, but a direct answer. This is what I believe. This is what I know to be true. And this is why. Nicodemus had some questions about Jesus. That's why he was approaching him. Whatever the reason they met at night, Nicodemus had some questions that only Jesus was able to answer. Well, why do you figure that? Well, I figure that if it were a matter of theology, he could have simply asked any one of his many educated colleagues. He had a few of them. He had access to all of them, actually. Most educated in the, in the land. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they knew Scripture. They knew the commentaries on Scripture. They knew the commentaries on the commentaries on Scripture. And yes, that's actually a thing. The Jews have that. <clears throat> Unfortunately, they value those higher than the actual Scripture. Now, and then, Nicodemus opens his, his discussion with some compliments. Calls him rabbi. Acknowledges that he was sent from God. John 3 and 2 says, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely true. Only God could do these things. But embedded within these statements were some hidden questions. There were questions that, that Nicodemus was, was struggling with at the time. Who are you really? Who are you, Jesus? And the second one was, what do these miracles mean that you're performing? We know that only God can do these miracles. But we hate what you're saying. So how could this be? They didn't even consider, I don't think for a moment, that maybe they were wrong. Every time I start studying human psychology, human, uh, the way the brain works, that is an absolutely fascinating topic to me. All of the cognitive biases that, that we have to work through all the time in decision making. All of the, all of the, the pre, preconceptions, presuppositions uh, that we don't even know we have. It's, it really is a wonder that we can make any cogent decision at all. We're trying to work through all of these things. But we do. It's, it's an amazing process. And for the most part, it works fine. For the most part, you know, uh, they're basically generalizations. Uh, 
things that we accept as true, uh, sometimes you would struggle to try to explain exactly, specifically, why you believe that's true. It typically comes down because someone said so. And, I mean, we, we're not immortal. We're not going to live forever here. We haven't lived forever. We're not omniscient. So, at some point, I mean, we can't track every single statement down all the way to the, 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 root, the root cause. We can't do that. We don't have time. We don't have the resources. So, we have to make assumptions in our thinking, in, in the way that we view things. And so, uh, one of those things is that people are very patient and very forgiving with themselves. And they are very judgmental and very short with everyone else, generally speaking. Someone cuts me off on the road, <clears throat> I get righteous indignation. I cut someone else off on the road and they get mad at me, well, they have an anger problem. Why would they be mad? I didn't mean it. Right? You guys see what I'm saying? You're laughing because you know it's true. <laughs> And I think, the, I think Nicodemus and the other Pharisees were stuck in the same situation. They knew that they were, they knew they had truth. They knew they were right. So it had to be someone else. But the problem was, God kept confirming everything Jesus said. So now I don't understand what's going on here. Who are you really? And what, what, are, what are these miracles? What does that mean? Jesus responds to Nicodemus, but he doesn't respond to the compliments. He doesn't respond to those rather obscure questions. But he cuts to what he sees as the heart of Nicodemus' struggle. And that's what he does. He just cuts to the quick, doesn't he? Let's not mess around putting band-aids on stuff. Let's not treat the symptoms. Let's treat the cause. I love that. Jesus says, you must be born again. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Of course, that declaration raises even more questions in the mind of Nicodemus. Verse 4 continues, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? You know, for the first several years I was in church, I would read this from time to time, and I would just chuckle, I'd laugh. It sounds silly. It sounds ridiculous. Why would a grown man, an educated man, ask a stupid question like this? It seems stupid to me to ask that question. But you've got to understand, folks, this is before any of this ever happened. I'm, I'm looking back on it past tense. I know the end of the story. I know how all of this plays out. He doesn't have a clue. He's struggling trying to reconcile Jesus' spiritual statement with his own carnal perspective. 
And when I understand that, I have a better understanding of this question. He doesn't, he doesn't really have a good idea of the spiritual realm. Now, the Pharisees, we understand, they believed in miracles. They believed in an afterlife, a resurrection. But these miracles, they were really throwing them off. So Jesus clarifies. Verses 5 and 6, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. So he clarifies. You've got to be born of water and of the Spirit. Now again, looking from Nicodemus's perspective, it's still as clear as mud to me. I still really don't understand what you're saying, Jesus. And the Bible doesn't record a response from Nicodemus, but maybe a facial expression or something was, was presented because Jesus continues in verse 7, says, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. See, what Nicodemus failed to understand, this thing that completely blew me out of the water when I first got into a Bible study, is that Old Testament Scripture were types and shadows of New Testament realities. They were physical representations of spiritual things we encounter today. Isn't that amazing? All the way back to the very beginning, Jesus was demonstrating through these situations spiritual realities. Because, folks, the spiritual realm, that is the real realm. This physical world that we're stuck in, that we're bombarded with moment by moment, all the time, is temporal. It's temporary. It's going to pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. They're going to pass away. Even the heavens are going to be recreated. It's temporary. This is not reality. We think it is because, I mean, I'm wrapped in this meat suit. I, I, I encounter people who are wrapped in meat suits. All of this stuff. I stub my toe. I get hurt. That's not a spiritual bench. That's a physical bench. I'm not going to die if I get stabbed by a spiritual knife. Or a spiritual bullet. But I will if you shoot me with a physical one. So those are the things that, that really concern us moment by moment. They capture our attention, the immediate uh, needs and concerns of this world. We're so wrapped up in it all the time because it's always there. But as spiritual beings, we are spiritual beings. We have been remade. We have been born again. We are new creatures in Christ. And because of that, we have got to understand spiritual realities. We have got to learn to live and to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's what we need to learn how to do. When we pray, I understand it's a physical process. Prayer postures, etc., etc. We're speaking physically. 
but it's a spiritual office. I'm not doing anything in the physical except maybe kneeling or sitting and talking. But all kinds of things are happening in the spiritual realm because of that. Powerful things, miraculous things happen all the time in the the spiritual realm because of that. And what Nicodemus failed to understand is that entire reality was there. All he was focused on is the physical. What do you mean born again? I can't be born again. Not the way I understand it. In Taking a, maybe several steps back and looking at a larger picture, Jesus was just beginning to expound to people this transition between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was a huge Huge transition. The Old Testament with the law, the tabernacle plan, the priesthood, all of those things was going to be abolished. It was going to be completed and done away with in the New Testament, the New Covenant. Jesus, He had a very short time to get people to understand what this transition meant. 1 Corinthians 10.11 says, All these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. That, in a general sense, lets us know about the types and the shadows. Now here's a specific type and a shadow that Nicodemus wasn't aware of. 1 Corinthians 10.1 and 2 says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud... And all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. A type and a shadow of water baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, being born of water, being born of spirit. Nicodemus didn't know that, not yet. The tabernacle plan. He understood the tabernacle plan. Let me tell you, he knew the tabernacle plan inside and out, up and down, left and right. He knew all of it. But what he didn't know is what it represented. The altar of sacrifice represents death. The death of the Messiah. The death of Jesus Christ. And our death to self. Our old nature. The brazen Lavier represented water baptism. Being born again of water. It represented Christ's burial. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. It represented the Holy Ghost. The high priest could enter in one time a year. But after the death of Jesus, the temple veil was rent in twain. Everybody, everywhere, has free access to the presence of God. The feasts that we talked about last week, the Passover, the Day of Atonement, All of these things represented and were types and shadows of what was to come. The coming Messiah. He knew about Messiah. They all did. Their understanding of Messiah was way off though. He was going to be a military leader, a king that would deliver them from the rule of the Romans. Because that's what they did in the Old Testament. 
when God delivered Israel, He gave them a judge. Delivered them from the hands of the Midianites. Delivered them from the hands of the Philistines. That's what Messiah is going to do. Again, physical. That's all they could see is the physical. That's all they've ever experienced. But now Jesus was, was transitioning that into the Spirit where we exist today. The new birth is the answer. Whatever we face, the answer is Jesus Christ. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is our healing. Jesus is our provision. Jesus is our sanctification. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our deliverance. Jesus is our wisdom and understanding. Jesus is our restitution. He's our shield and buckler. Jesus is our high tower and our strong defense. Jesus is our Heavenly Father. And Jesus is our exceeding great reward. Whatever it is we have need of, we find that need met in Jesus Christ. I don't care what it is. If you're lonely, you can find that met in Jesus Christ. If you're addicted to something, you can find your addiction broken, completely delivered in Jesus Christ. You need a healing of mind or body or spirit. Your answer is Jesus Christ. Amen. Whatever we have need of, we find it met in Him. Jesus died for all of us, not just some of us. We read in the book of Acts chapter 10, the story about Cornelius. Acts chapter 10 is one of my favorite chapters, and the reason for that is because I'm a Gentile. And in Acts chapter 10, the kingdom was made available to me. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus, that in Acts chapter 10, God sent a Jew to preach the gospel to my people. Praise God. Acts chapter 10, 34 and 35 says this, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. It's open to everybody. I don't care who you are. God doesn't care who you are, what family you come from, how much money you make, where you live. He doesn't care about any of that. He put you there. Consider that. I came from the family I came from because he put me there. I didn't have a choice in that. Really, neither did my parents. They had a choice, obviously, to have a kid. They didn't choose to have me. Where I was born, I didn't have a choice with that. God put me there. How I look, I didn't choose this face. You know that's true. I'd have chosen a different one. <laughs> but God gave me this beautiful mug. Amen. So I'm thankful for that. Could be worse. It could be worse. It can always be worse. <clears throat> so God doesn't care about any of those things. We shouldn't either. What really interests me 
what really captures my imagination is that whoever I am, wherever I am, God is interested in me. That's what blows my mind. He's interested in me. I have nothing to offer Him. Nothing. Problems. Got a lot I had to work through. I still have a lot I need to work through. That's what I have to offer Jesus. But He is delighted. He is delighted when we enter into a relationship with Him. How awesome is that? We don't get good to get God. We've heard this before. We get God to get good. There are some people who... They struggle to get the Holy Ghost. And even afterward, they struggle living for God because, well, I got the Holy Ghost now. I should be perfect. I should live perfectly. I do think it's possible if we would completely submit ourselves to God and, 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 and trust in, in Him. I think it is possible to live above sin. However, if we do fall into sin, if we do make a mistake, that's not the end of the story. I cannot do enough good to earn salvation. And I know we all understand that. But sometimes I think we, we do and we don't. I thought I understood it for a long time. But I didn't. Every time I would mess up, that would set me back weeks. I'd have to repent and I'd have to beat myself up for so long before I felt like God was ready to forgive me. Because how could I be so stupid? I know better. And I do know better. And it was a dumb choice. I guess all of that's true. But folks, most of us are parents here. When my kids would make a stupid mistake, and they knew it, and I knew it, and they would come to me and let me know, Dad, I messed up. I did this. I'm so sorry. I couldn't possibly be angry with that. I was delighted when they did that. I'd give them a big hug. We'd have to work through it. We'd have to make it right. But I love them all the more. And I let them know that. What frustrated me was when they didn't come to me and they tried to hide it. And if I confronted them, they'd lie about it. That frustrated me. When we come to Jesus... And we repent. He loves that. He's waiting for that. He delights in that. Don't ever think for one second that, that you're in the doghouse for X amount of days and then, then maybe maybe after a cooling off period and maybe I can try then. There's no cooling off period. There's nothing you can do to make an atonement for that anyway. Let the blood of Jesus cover that. And then get up and move on.
We cannot get good enough. We cannot do enough good to merit the favor of God. And you never will. You never will. So we don't have to do good. No. That's not what I'm saying. The reason we do good is because of who we are now. It is a reflection of who we are. I'm not forcing myself to do good so that I can avoid God's wrath or so that I can somehow uh, earn merit or favor with Him. If that's your motivation for doing good, friend, you got the wrong motivation. You're coming at it from the wrong angle. I do good because of who God made me, because of what God has done for me, because I love God and I want to serve and please Him with my life. That's why I do good. I know that I can't do enough good to earn His favor. There's nothing I can do to deserve His favor. But He makes me worthy because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. Amen. The Gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the good news. This is the good news that we are to proclaim. We must incorporate, therefore, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ into our own lives. Again, Nicodemus, not literally, not physically, but spiritually. We incorporate Christ's death through repentance. Romans 6, 6 and 7 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. You don't have to worry about offending a corpse. You will not offend a corpse. You can't do anything to a corpse. They're dead. And in us, the body of sin is dead. There should be no response. When Satan comes knocking, there should be no response. We incorporate Christ's burial through water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Amen. And just as Jesus rose from the grave to new life, we rise from the waters of baptism to new life in Christ. Romans 6, 4 and 5 says, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death. We've just read this. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also in the likeness of His resurrection. This is exactly the answer Jesus gave to Nicodemus the night they met. This is exactly what Jesus was saying. Being born of water happens at water baptism. Being born of the Spirit happens in spirit baptism or the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Born again of water and of spirit. Amen. In conclusion, he was brass. Most every time he would start to speak, some of those around him would cringe. His impulsiveness had been on display several times in their short time together. Knowing the type of man he had been, it is miraculous to see the man he became. Name, of course, was Simon Peter. He was quite the character during the three and a half years he spent with Jesus and the other disciples. One minute, 
He could be sociable and engaging. The next, he was almost repulsive in his mannerisms and speech. He vowed to follow Jesus to the death, only to deny him three times, cursing within a few hours. In a moment of angry frustration, Jesus drew, I'm sorry, Peter, Peter drew a sword and cut off the ear of one of the men who came to arrest Jesus. How does a man like Peter become the dynamic anointed preacher who preached the greatest message of all time on the day of Pentecost? It's quite simple, really. Peter was born again. He was given a do-over in life. Peter's life story is a testimony to us of how radically new birth can change our lives. His story shows us the incredible power of transformation the Spirit brings to everyone who is sincerely hungry for a relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Amen. That's true for Peter. That's true for each and every one of us. It's true for all those who will surrender their lives to Jesus Christ and allow Him to start them afresh. Amen. Let's all stand. Jesus, You're a mighty King. You're a glorious, wondrous Savior, and we heap glory and honor unto You. Only You are worthy to receive it. You are the only one we desire to give it to. Hallelujah, Jesus. I am so thankful for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and for the opportunity to incorporate Your death, burial, and resurrection into my life that You have given all of us everywhere an opportunity to enter into this new covenant with You. Thank You, Jesus, for salvation. Thank You, Jesus, for daily salvation. And thank You, Jesus, for the future hope that we have that one day we're going to live forever with You. I pray, Lord, that you bless the remainder of your service. Minister to the needs represented here today and these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll take a slightly less than 15-minute break. We'll be back at a quarter till.